Hi there. Welcome to Joe's Table Alaska, where I explore the food industry in the interior region of the state of Alaska. Interior Alaska invites all types of agricultural interests, from farming, foraging, to ranching, and encourages entrepreneurs who are engaged in sustainable growing of all produce all year long, despite the many challenges of the cold weather in our state. Food security, sustainable farming, agriculture, and growing our own food. These are important issues for us in the interior of Alaska. This is where we live. This is where we raise families and work towards self-sufficiencies. In this podcast, I speak with farmers, foragers, ranchers, butchers, and also with people who are dedicated in helping year-round with the food security for those in our community who have the need. I speak with people engaged in growing vegetables, in growing flowers, beekeeping, mushroom foraging, and many, many other endeavors. These are people who embrace agriculture to produce the most essential ingredient for us and for our livelihood, food. I bring their challenges, their journey, and their stories to you. I'm Joe, and this is Joe Stable Alaska. On this episode, we're talking about beekeeping. Yes, beekeeping. There is a growing interest and engagement in beekeeping, not only in interior Alaska, but in the entire state. So why do so many people engage in beekeeping? Well, some folks engage in this activity because they just like honey. Some keep bees to provide them relief from allergies, and some use honey for their bees for general health and medicinal purposes. And for some, It is an enterprise. They sell honey at farmer's markets, small co-ops, and local stores. For whatever the reason, it's an activity that requires love, passion, dedication, time, and resources. Hi, I'm Joe. Join me as we talk beekeeping on Joe Stable Alaska. In this episode, Tammy Randolph joins me to share her beekeeping journey. She's a successful businesswoman and a beekeeper. She's a devoted beekeeper who believes that bees are the most intelligent species she has known. Let's hear her story and find out why. We'll start um, by asking you what got you interested in beekeeping. I wanted to find a hobby that would keep me outside and busy during the summer months in Alaska because you okay. want to be outside and active. Now, you know, our, do something with my hands and stay mobile, but not to that level. Yeah. And so I decided gardening would be a great place to start. And then beekeeping just kind of came through that because I happened to see when I was looking for gardening books and I was starting to follow some gardening blogs and write out my ideas and build my little garden in my head. I came across a beekeeping site and how beekeeping in Alaska specifically. So I took a class, I decided just to take a class on it first. So I took a class on beekeeping that lasted about 
I'm going to say three or four weeks. And then... Was I, that local here? It was local, yeah, by a gentleman that's now retired, and he's moved away. And so he doesn't do it anymore. But there are there is a fabulous gal named Dawn Kogan, and she teaches beekeeping as well. And she does it twice, I think it's twice a year, and she does it over at Monroe in the gymnasium. Oh, And okay. it's two different weekends. I think she just had it in January. And I retook her class over a long weekend um, just to refresh myself in about maybe year four and this is going to be year eight for me okay and so I started with two hives to see how they did um, moved to four and now I have six and six will probably be my maximum oh okay so six hives is plenty for me and I've fallen in love with them I did every single year I mean I I'm so excited to get them I worry about them all summer long, and then I cry through the end of the season because I have to dispatch them, you know? Do you ever feel um, that beekeeping uh, was, um, while you were interested in it, that it posed any danger to you? Never. Mm -mm. Bees, honeybees, as a general rule, are not aggressive unless they're threatened. So as long as you stay gentle and kind and calm around the bees, they're calm and kind and gentle to you. And so some of the little tricks that I've picked up over the years is bees pick up on pheromones. That's how they recognize their queen. That's how they recognize their hive. It's always scent first, color second. And so I wear a peppermint oil when I'm in my bees, and that masks the pheromones of sweat and any fear and I don't have a fear I should say but sometimes you're anxious or sometimes you're in a hurry and I think the bees pick up on that too so I try to plan my beekeeping day it's not like I'm in the hives every single day I'm in the hives about maybe every 10 days 20 days at first when they first get when the first bees first arrive and I install them into their install the packages into their hives and I'm checking on them every three and four and five days until I know that the queen is laying Mm-hmm. And once she's laying, I know the hive's good. And so then I leave them alone, and I'll probably only check them about every three or four weeks. And the queen is readily identifiable. The queen is readily identifiable by size first, and then she's marked. And there's ten different colors in the beekeeping world to mark your queens, and each one represents a different year. So I don't know what the color is this year. Last year it was green. All my queens had a little green mark on them. So and they who were decides easily, that? I mean, is it just our It's the beekeeping world, and they've picked 10 okay. colors, and they just revolve them 1 through 10, and then they start over again. Okay. So I'm in year 8, so I haven't gone all the way through the spectrum of the 10 colors yet, but that will come up by in three like more years. Kind of like naming hurricanes, huh? <laughs> Very similarly, yeah. I suppose, yeah, but they just pick 10 and I, and I, you know, there's red, I've seen red, yellow, green, blue, white, I can't remember all the different colors, but um, yeah, and then they mark all the So you can the spot them. You can spot them. Well, it does make it easy to spot them right away, but most importantly, I just look for brood. I don't, if I see brood, then I know the queen's good. And so I don't necessarily have to find the queen each and every time. I just want to find activity. Mm -hmm. And so then I leave them alone. You want to be careful with your hives because it's easy to roll a queen. It's easy to roll your bees. And that causes, you know, if you roll them and hurt them, they're damaged and gone and you start over. And so I try to be 
very gracious to my bees and just be kind and be calm and just enjoy them and they just give it right back. Do you wear any protective gear? I have um, a bee suit, yes, and I always wear my bee suit. I, there's a lot of beekeepers out there that don't feel the need to do that, but I think a lot of those beekeepers are beekeepers that have been beekeeping the same hives for a number of years, and they're just very comfortable around the bees, and the bees know them, and they know the bees. Mm -hmm. And so, and those are places that probably are more suited for people that can keep bees all year round. Mm -hmm. So the calm, the the hive is never in an anxious mode, right? It's never looking for food. It's never, well, I guess they're always working looking for food because they have to build up their stores. But they don't, they just seem more calm and relaxed than, you know. So I just am always careful. I always wear my bee suit. I don't want to be stung. I don't like to be stung. Oh, sure. It yeah. hurts. I've been stung plenty of times. You know, if they get underneath your glove or down inside your boot or, you know, something wasn't zipped up properly or sealed all the way, then they can get in. It, it's not nice for either one of you. It doesn't feel good and the bee dies. And so I don't like that. So yeah. if I can avoid hurting or killing my bees, then I want to do that. Is so, so apparently with this one guy teaching who's retired mm -hmm. and now Don Kogan teaching twice yes. a year, mm -hmm. uh, it appears there is a fair amount of interest in Fairbanks oh, and yeah. in interior Alaska. Yes, Do you there's think a whole it's better in North Pole no. than in, like, no. city? No, if you ever had the chance to meet, you know Robert Fox, right? Yes. Remember Robert Fox? He's yes. since passed away. Um, he was a huge beekeeper right downtown Fairbanks. Okay, so so the it's it's, it's not like there's an elevation issue or nope. it's it's nope. just the summer months. It's the summer months. Okay. The bees arrive generally. The co-op starts bringing the bees in around mid-April. The last of the bees come in by mid-May, and the bees are on their own and doing great generally by June one. And our beekeeping year typically ends, for those of us that don't winter our bees over, there are a lot of people in Alaska that do. I just don't find it very um, efficient in Fairbanks because of our temperatures. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that some don't try, but the, the biggest reason to overwinter your hive is to keep your, bee, your, keep your queen bee safe and strong mm -hmm. um, because she has a lifespan of up to five years if she stays healthy. But the remainder of the bees, their life cycle is less than two months. And yeah. so when they stay dormant, protecting the queen over the winter, they um, will live a little longer because they're not working. But they, by this time, they've kicked all the drones out. There's not many males left in the hive. And it's just the females surrounding. And they need the honey to survive. They need mm -hmm. to be fed. So it's either a sugar water or it's a honey. Well, so in my view, you either get the honey or you get the bees. You don't get both. Yeah, and so I don't winter my bees over, and I start over each each year, year with each a year fresh batch with a fresh bees. batch of bees. Yeah. So when they come in mid-April, mm -hmm. it's still cool here. Yeah, quite often. I've only had one year. This will be year eight, and so my second year is the only year that I've ever had where there was no snow on the ground when I hived the bees, and it was just a particularly warm spring, and we had a fifty-degree day, and lucky, lucky, lucky. But that never happen. I mean, that's so rare. And if the weather is nice, mm -hmm. um, mid-April to, mm -hmm. to remainder of the April, mm -hmm. and let's say in May, mm -hmm. you know, you have a bunch of snow. Sure. Uh, Which is are typical. Are the bees still okay? The bees are okay. okay. So each one of my hives, I built insulation for them. I 
install. So if you look at a Langstroth hive, which is the only one that I use, it's four boxes. Mm -hmm. It's two main boxes, and then it's two smaller boxes. And they're called supers. And so I hive all of my bees into one box to start with, with 10 frames. Now, over the years, I've already built up all of my foundation, right? So I have lots of the bees. The bees are going to be busy those first two weeks. They're going to be cleaning out all the efforts of the previous year. And they're going to be getting that queen ready so she can start laying eggs. They already have this foundation, so part of the work's already done for them. Mm -hmm. And so they spend that first couple of weeks inside the hive cleaning everything up. And it's completely insulated all the way around. And um, I don't take off that insulation until it's 40 degrees at night. 40 at night. Mm -hmm. okay. And then I can t remove my insulation and know that the bees are going to be just fine. Um, I'm also feeding my bees those first couple of weeks because there's nothing in bloom for them to forage. Yeah. Their first food in Fairbanks is your willow and your birch pollen when that comes out. And once that starts blooming, then they're off and running, and then I stop feeding everything. And do you just feed sugar water? I just feed a sugar water. I only use um, cane sugar, and it's a one-to-one -one ratio to make the syrup. And so water, sugar, and then I add a little vitamin that I pick up at uh, Alaska Feed. And I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it has a little bit of a, it's got some, uh, it's a spearmint, it's Honey Bee Healthy. That's what it's called, Honey Bee Healthy. And it's just a vitamin-based supplement with a little bit of spearmint in it. And it just is, is just good for them. It's good for them. Uh, the smell attracts them because it's got a heavy mint smell to it, and that keeps them. And I add, I add like in a three gallon, a three gallon jug of sugar water, I probably add about fifteen teaspoons total, and then I mix it all up. So how fast do you go through the? I will go through two three gallon jugs in two weeks. In two weeks. In two weeks, yeah, maybe three weeks. I might have a little bit left over. And, you know, they started foraging. But once I notice that the jars are remaining with anything in them, I know that they're all busy foraging and there's no reason to feed them anymore. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it because they'll get dependent on it. And then they're like us. We're only going to go as far as we need to go for food, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so we want the bees to work. We want them to go off and forage and find and bring back all of the pollen because that's 100% protein for them that feeds them mm -hmm. and then eventually then they'll start foraging for nectar. And that's birch and willow. Birch and willow are the first food. Dandelion comes next and once the dandelions are in bloom all bets are off. Everything's gonna start and <laughs> summer's officially here. So yeah exactly. Yeah okay very interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean you know the very things that we look at you know, like pollen, right? With fear, right? Here comes the allergies. You know, right? The bees really need that. They do, you know. And yeah. dandelions, right? Gosh, we hate them right. on our lawns, but the bees right. need them. The bees need know? them. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. exactly right. So, so do you have in the general vicinity of where you keep your hives? Mm -hmm. Do you let the dandelions mm -hmm. grow and just? Yeah. So my yard is split. You've been to my home, and my greenhouse is basically the marker down the yard. My husband is not a dandelion fan, so he doesn't want dandelions in his lawn, right? And he's pretty meticulous about his lawn. He loves it. And um, so we use the weed and feed there. Yeah. But over on the other side of the greenhouse, that whole area that my bees sit in, so my 
um, raised beds are here, you know, in the front. My greenhouse is off to the side, and so it's a little bit of an elbow. And then all of that is bee yard. And so that is all clover, dandelion, and grass. And the bees okay. get it all. Okay. Yeah, so that and presents a problem when the, bee, when the dandelions start, you know, blowing out. Because then, of course, they move over to my lawn. Yeah. But then I just have to weed and feed again. So yeah. if I weed and feed a couple of times a year, that so keeps the lawn good. It's manageable. Then. It's manageable. Yeah. Yeah, there's six hives. It's not, it's not horrible at all. Yeah. So we know that birch and pal, uh, and willow, you know, they're, they're natural to mm-hmm. our environment. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to really grow them, quote unquote. No. Neither do you have to grow dandelions. How about clover? That's interesting to me. Yeah, clover. So if you talk to Angie Hawks, at Huck's Greenhouse, she'll tell you Dutch white clover will be your best bet because the bees absolutely love it and it spreads great and it's very tolerant and it comes back. So this year, out in the corral part of my yard where I have my chickens and my little flower farm, I'm going to till up a whole bunch of that area and and I bought a five pound bag of Dutch white clover and I'm just going to I'm trying to discourage the foxtails because those mm-hmm. present problems mm-hmm. for my dogs yeah. and my chickens. Not really the chickens, but I just don't want them to have to mess with them, but my dogs for sure. So I'm going to try to till up some of that and have the clover take over. So I'm going to do just a little bit of clover. I'm going to do clover and a grass mix, hopefully, and And it's very low over. maintenance. And it's very low maintenance, yeah. yes. And it flowers like crazy, and the bees will be the bees will find it in no time. Yeah. It will look spectacular. And it'll look great. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So um, we talked about when the bees come in. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mm-hmm. said, you know, April, mid-April. Yes. By mid-May. Um, then um, with your timeline, you said that initially you spend more time with them, but then you let them be, and maybe only every 50 to 20 days you'll go stare at them. Correct. You know, yeah. uh, and, yep. and check, check on yep. them. Yep. Yeah. I, ch- I make sure I keep a water jug out there for them. I make sure the bees have water. Now, now I've got a lot of water around me. I've got two different little ponds that are fed by the river, right. and then I've got the river as well, but I don't necessarily want them in the river because that, they may not make it if they sure. get to the river. Sure. They need something to sit on and, and drink because they do get thirsty, and so I keep a big water jug out there and I have like a rope in it with little rocks in there so they can sit on the rocks and and drink from the water so I'm always checking my water supply and I'm just checking to make sure there's lots of activity come June that swarm season in Fairbanks so this means that the Queen's doing so well that they're running out of room and then they'll look for another place to go so lots of beekeepers um, are subject to swarms in the month of June. So I'm especially keeping a good eye on them in June and making sure that all the bees are there. So every morning when I go out to water, I make a beeline. Well, that was no pun intended. (laughs) But I I go down and I go behind each one of my hives and I knock on each one of them and I put my ear up, you know, to listen. And then they all buzz to let me know that everything's great. If I don't hear a sound, I know they've swarmed. One of the pictures that I sent you was probably my second or third year beekeeping, and I did have a swarm, but I caught them, and they were all over my little apple tree. Oh, I saw that picture. Yes, and that was a swarm, so that means they ran out of room, so I didn't put the boxes on in time, you know, the next box or the third box to give them enough room. That was my fault. So So now I'm careful. So when you mentioned they're looking for space. They're looking for space. You... Uh, solve that by adding more boxes. Yes, you solve it if with your own hives by adding more boxes and getting to it before they swarm. They swarm. Yes, but I got them all back in the same box 
and was able to save everything. So they'll swarm to protect the queen. So the queen leaves first because she's run out of room. The hive will follow the queen no matter what. And there's no place for them to go. There's no place for them to go in Fairbanks. So when, um, no so here's place. June, right. and there's activity, and yep. they're doing what they're supposed to yep. do. Then what happens? Like, take me further down in the season. What happens in the subsequent months? So the first couple of months of beekeeping is all about they're doing, they're getting pollen. Right. All they're doing is getting pollen, 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 laying, 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 having babies every 28. I think it's 28. I might be wrong on that. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, if you see something different, but I believe that the bee, the tw- it's a 28-day cycle from laying the egg to hatching the bee. The bee hatches as an adult bee. The first couple of days, the bee is learning how to maintain and clean the hive. Then the bee graduates in the next few days. Its, its wings are growing out, and it's learning. It doesn't fly yet well, right? It's, not, it's developing, but it's an adult, but it's, it still has some development stages. The next couple of days goes by, and it's working its way down to become a guard bee. It's learning how to guard the entrance and guard the hive from predators. Then it learns how to fly and forage, and then it, comes, it develops enough to come back and tell everybody else where it's foraging and flying. And, the, and, of course, this is all females. Mm-hmm. No male bees work outside of the hive. And the male drone only lives 28 days max. And then he, he's dead and booted. The only reason you have a, a male bee, a drone, in a hive is in case you need to breed a queen. Because you've lost your queen. But our bees don't really... I only have bees for, you know, five or six months. So if I lose a queen, in the very beginning of the season, I can go get another queen. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't. If I, if I lose a queen mid-season or late season, I combine my hives, and I just keep them all together, and I don't worry about replacing a queen. Mm-hmm. There's no time to, you know, breed a queen. Yeah. And so that's basically that. So the first couple of months, they're all forag- the females are all foraging for pollen, bringing it back to the hive, stocking the cells the comb with um, pure protein, so they have a food source. The queen's busy laying. Then, by the time everything's blooming, now they start shifting, and they're eating the pollen, and they're feeding the hive, and everybody's healthy and happy. And now they start to forage for nectar, because that makes the honey, and that is their winter supply. They just don't know there isn't going to be a winter. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) If you bring a, a different bee, queen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do the rest of the bees... Um, they will reject. Reject? They only accept one queen at a time. Now, some people have been successful in running two queen hives, but they separate their boxes. Okay. I mean, the boxes might be together, but they're, but they're separated by a queen separator. So they don't... The way that you get the, the bees to accept a new queen... It's just time. And um, the way you get the hive with the queen already in it to accept this hive is also time. So if the boxes are separated, I take the lid off and I put on a, sh- a sheet of newspaper. And then I put the one, the bee hive that I'm trying to incorporate, because it doesn't have a queen anymore, into this one. And I put it on top and just walk away for a few days. Now these bees are going to start picking up the scent and the pheromones of the queen right away, and they're going to trickle down, and they're going to start eating through that newspaper. These bees are going to pick up the scent of a different hive and start eating through the newspaper from the other way, and they're all meeting 
in the middle, and within a few days, everybody's great. It all, it just works. They have, it's just a very, the bee world is so incredibly fascinating. It, it could solve all the problems <laughs> they, of mankind. They appear to just, be very intelligent. They're extremely intelligent, and there's just a lot of innate abilities inside the bee. It's amazing the skills that they have and what they can do. That's amazing. It just blows my mind. You don't have to teach them anything. They so, know. So let's go back to the months. So mm -hmm. then what happens? Like, you know, because they're only with you for the summer, right? Right. They're only with me for the summer. So then here's June. What happens in July? So in July now, things are starting to, um, now they're starting to get nectar off all the flowers because all the flowers are in bloom. So now they're starting to make the honey. So they bring the nectar back. And basically, the other name for nectar or honey is bee vomit. So they basically <laughs> digest and, and they swallow the nectar, and then they regurgitate it back up, feed it to this bee, this bee feeds it to that bee, and this bee takes it into the cell, and then the bees cap it, and it, and it and becomes honey. Yeah, it takes it's a process. Yeah. And but there's no water in honey, so they're not adding anything to it other than the nectar that they're pulling and the own their own enzymes. And then that's what makes honey. And then it's all capped. So during the months of July, August and September, they're bringing in nectar and they're filling up frames as fast as they can and they're capping and sealing it. If you were to pull a frame that's got nectar in it, honey in it, but it's not capped yet. There's still too much moisture in that honey. So they haven't capped it yet. It's not ready. Once it's capped, it's safe. Okay. And you can't get to it without uncapping it. And so that, but they can get to it. In times of smoke, threats, um, these kinds of things, they'll get into their own honey stores because they think that there's a chance they might have to leave and they need to take their supplies with them to the next place. Very, very, very intelligent. Very intelligent. Yeah, very intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. So then when do you actually get to the point where you can start extracting the honey? So my <coughs> bee season generally, I try to end my bee season by the last of, of September. So yeah. once it's getting, the flowers aren't bringing anything anymore, right? So I kind of follow, I kind of follow the season and you can tell. First frost, you're done. I mean, everything's done, right? Yeah. So I try to get ahead, just a little ahead of first frost. But typically, let's say it's the last weekend of September, first weekend of October. Um, I go out very early in the morning because the bees aren't active yet. The bees won't be active until it feels like it's about 40 degrees outside and maybe the sun is shining on there. That's what tells them to get moving, right? Mm -hmm. It's the temperatures. Mm -hmm. If it's cold, it's rainy, it's anything like that, they're all going to stay inside. And so I generally start very early in the morning and I just start vacuuming up my bees mm -hmm. and then I give them to the river and the, mm -hmm. and they feed the fish so I, I feel like in that sense it's a little bit of you know recycling the circle of life but I, I still cry it's still really really hard because I've worked hard all summer long to make sure my queens are thriving make sure my bees are healthy and 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 then of course I'd have to dispatch them at the end is it I mean is it just uh, when you say vacuuming is there special tools available nope, to it's beekeepers a, it's there probably are, but I'm just simple that way, and I use a shop vac. Okay. And in that shop vac, I put a little bit of water in the bottom, of, of, you know, about maybe a gallon of water in the bottom of a eight eight gallon shop vac, and I put just a little, the tiniest bit of Dawn dishwashing liquid in there because that 
makes them stick. Makes them stick, and then they drown right away. It's very quick. And um, then I take the whole thing down and I dump it into the river, and the soap doesn't hurt the water. And then the fish get the bees, and then they all just float down. You start your hive at the beginning of the season with a four pound package of bees and a already bred queen. Mm. That equals about 14 to 15,000 bees. By the wow. end of the summer, you've got a healthy queen laying up to 2,000 eggs a day. So none of the bees that started in the beginning of the summer are there at the end of the summer because they're all gone. Their lifespan is over. Um, but it's all brand new bees. And I usually end each hive with roughly fifty to 60,000 bees in each hive. So it's a process. Yeah. It takes a good two hours per hive to get through it all. I can't do it all in one day. So... Um and, and that's good what you do. I mean, it's sad, I'm sure. Oh, you? it is. It's <clears throat> Because you've been, you know, watching this whole mm-hmm. process and nurturing it along. But mm-hmm. then it's a good thing that you put it in the river right. rather than in a, yeah. you know, dumpster oh. somewhere. Yeah. Well, and the smell. It, 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 it's a horrible smell. Yeah. The decaying of the, yeah, no, you, you don't want to do that. You want to get rid of them right away. And so the river's handy. And, and fish will and the fish consume eat them. them. Yeah, okay. they consume them, and it doesn't hurt anything. I'm just giving. Yeah. I'm just giving back a little bit. Yeah. I'm not polluting. I'm not trashing. I'm not. It's nothing like that. It's yeah. you know giving it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, and I mean, you know, I looked at some of the pictures you had sent. And mm-hmm. It looks like there's you know a strategy to placement of the. The boxes, too. Yeah, so yeah. Southern they, exposure. Southern exposure, Southern for sure. exposure. You want the but sun to hit it first. so many feet apart? No, I think that's up to you. A lot of people beekeep. I've seen so many different styles of beekeeping. Some people beekeep in a house, and all their hives are in this frame structure, and they're butt-to-butt and back-to-back and side-by-side and up and down from each other. And No, mine was just placement because I had the space. Okay. So my hives sit about four feet apart. Okay. And um, I have a nice big birch tree right in the middle of the six. And no, I just did it for me. I just did it placement. And it works for you. And it works for me. Yeah, Yeah, it works fine. I keep everything's down there local. Um, So my home sits on the river and the sun rises in the east. So the sun hits the hives first thing in the morning on their sides. And then they're south face. They're kind of southeast facing, I should say. So that tells the bees it's time to get up and get moving. Mm-hmm. And so if they get the first bit of sunlight during the day, then they're starting to rise and move. And once it hits 40 degrees outside, then they're outside busy foraging the rest of the day. The bees stay very much in a pattern. They will leave the hive in the same direction and come back in the same direction every single time. And so it's fun for me to sit out there at about the 6 o'clock time. You know, they're done for the day pretty much, and they're all coming back to the hive, and they just come back in just, you know, just waves. And I love to sit there and watch the bees. It's calming, uh-huh. you know. I You don't see so much them taking off in the morning, but you do see them coming back coming at night. Back. And the dragonflies see the bees coming back. So we also hatch dragonflies on the river, right? And we get those great big beautiful blue dragonflies, yeah. those yeah. great big ones. Yeah. Well, the, the dragonflies, if the bees are flying south and north, let's say, the dragonflies come at them from the east and the west and get them right out of the air because <laughs> it's a protein source, right? So it's just Mother Nature doing its thing. But one day I was fortunate enough to be working in the hives Unfortunate that I lost the bee, but fortunate enough that I got to witness all this, and the dragonfly landed on my glove and grabbed the bee. 
Now a dragonfly's jaws are side to side, not up and down like uh-huh. ours are. Uh-huh. They're side to side, and I watched this dragonfly consume this entire bee. And there was nothing I could do but watch. I mean, I couldn't stop. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't save the bee. So I just took my camera and took a couple of shots. I probably have it in my phone, and I'll send you a copy of that. But it's just all part of part the cycle. Of nature. It's part yeah. of the nature. It's yeah. part of the cycle. That's, that's, that's why there's so many bees is because there's yeah. quite a bit of loss. They yeah. don't live long. They are fragile. I mean, they can be knocked out by the rain, the wind, whatever. If they're out foraging and all of a sudden one of those thunderstorms rolls through, mm, that, can, that can take quite a few of the bees. Uh, does the rain bother them? Because sometimes yeah, we get a lot like of to rain. Be wet. They don't like to be wet at all. So mm-hmm. they'll stay in the hive. Mm-hmm. And we have some neighbors that choose to spray. You know, we live in a, somewhat of an agricultural area. Um, there's a peony farm a couple of doors down. And then I'm, a, of course, a beekeeper and a gardener. And a lot of people are gardeners out there. But that's still some people choose to spray for mosquitoes and things like that. So I have a neighbor that chooses to spray. And that's fine. But they're gracious enough to let me know in advance. Hey, you know, it's going to spray today. So what I do is then I take, uh, I have six flat sheets and they're all dark and I run them through a rinse cycle and then I cover all my beehives early in the morning. Now the bees think that that means it's raining now. It's dark and it's raining. So they don't come out. So then by cool the that? end of the day, yeah. then so they didn't get to forage that day, but I they didn't lose my bees either. And so I just, that's just how I can deal with it. Could too hot be too hot for them? It can be too hot for them, mm-hmm. and then I, you can vent your hives. You'll, you'll know when it's too hot for your bees when they're bearding, and that means that they all come out of the hive. Well, a good portion of them come out of the hive, and they cling around the sides of the hive, and they're all beating their wings because they're mm-hmm. trying to cool off and vent. That gotcha. hive naturally gotcha. stays at about 95, 98 degrees, somewhere in there, and just with their with yeah. their, you know, them keeping it yeah. hot or warm themselves. But it can get too hot in there. So I can lift the lid a little bit at the top and let the get the air flow through yeah. there. Yeah. And, you know, just do things like that. To, yeah. But that's, again, why there's a lot of water on hand all the time because mm-hmm. they, they do need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At some point now, you know, you've, you've uh, finished the season in September, the bees are gone now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, <coughs> then I suppose you attack the, the hives and extract honey. Yes, I and do. And then how long is the process there? So that's a matter of probably days. I generally stack all of my... I leave my hives outside for another week just to make sure any remaining brood. By the time, by this time, the queen is generally done laying because it's it's cold enough. You know, they they sense and they know it's the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. So if you're lucky and it's a good season, you don't have any brood left over. But generally, there's always just a little bit of brood left to hatch out. There's nothing for them to do except die. Mm-hmm. And so I'll leave my hives stacked up tight, you know, so nothing can get into it. And um, I'll leave it for about a week just to make sure any brood, remaining brood is left. And then I'll put them into the garage until so they're nice and warm. And then I start extracting it by the box. Okay. And so once I extract, that takes me, it depends. This year it took me, I extracted over probably a three or four day period and extracted 23 gallons. 23 gallons. Right. Out of those six... Hives. hives. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all six of my queens survived this year, and it was just a great honey here for Fairbanks. So, yeah, I got it. I did quite well. 
other beekeepers do better. Uh, Micheline Patterson, excellent beekeeper, excellent beekeeper. And she actually gets, and she's in Hamilton Acres, and she gets so much honey every year that she's changing out honey frames and putting new ones in there so that they can keep going. And I could do that, but I just feel like they're working. She sells her honey, though, mm -hmm. and I don't. And yeah. so she um, does that because that keeps the bees busy and producing, and she does extremely well, and she's just very experienced at it. She has a huge passion for it. Um, but I just generally let my bees do what they're going to do. So, so 23 gallons to... Um unknowledgeable person like me sounds like a lot of honey it's roughly but, four to five gallons per hive yeah, yeah. but you know you um, use it personal mm -hmm. use mm -hmm. you give mm -hmm. it as mm -hmm. gifts mm -hmm. like you brought me mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. one yeah um, do you run out then no nope. no no I still have some I still have honey from my very first year maybe that's more sentimental I could use it up and and let it go but I just don't some of it has gotten a little crystallized over the years so I'm gonna try to figure out a way to make um, something out of it you know whipped honey creamed honey something like that um, Lisa Sunborg and I were talking once and she said I'm interested in learning how to make hot honey and so there's a hot ah, honey out there yeah. that you make with peppers sure and so Experiment that to would see be. if we could use it and cream and it, the honey's still good even though it's um, crystallized a little bit it just sometimes the condensation you know the garage gets cold the garage gets warm the garage gets cold the garage gets warm a little moisture gets to it and it does mm -hmm. it does crystallize a little bit but it doesn't harm the honey in any way it just makes it harder to work with because it's stiff mm -hmm. and it's not flowing yeah and so but I think you could scoop it out and I think you could you know, try not to overheat it, but you could heat it up a little bit. Warm it up a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then just whip it, maybe, and turn it into a creamed honey of some kind. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I'm just so busy over the summer, you know, doing everything that I think about that in the winter, and then it's time <laughs> to get out of here for the winter, and then I'm thinking about seeds for next year, and there's just so many things. There's so many projects. There's a lot of dreams, and it's just bringing them all into fruition and make, finding the time to make them all work. So it sounds like that throughout your years of beekeeping, you have come to meet other beekeepers? Oh, there's a co-op in So Fairbanks. there's a co-op in yep. Fairbanks. Yep. And so do you have meetings? Mm -hmm. Well, pre-COVID, um, okay. everybody was getting together once a month uh, to talk about bee Do orders. you have a name for it? Um, I think it just it's just the Fairbanks Beekeeping Association. I, okay. I'm no, that's sure. okay. Yeah. That's um, Dale Lupton is your connection there, D-A-L-E-L-U-P-T-O-N. Okay. He and his wife uh, run the co-op, and he does all the bee ordering for us all, and he was running, pretty much running the meetings too. And then post-COVID, I just don't know that it's all come back together again, like lots of things, right? Yeah. So I... I can text him anytime. I, I call him. He's just so helpful. He's a great resource. Um, and he handles all the, he just handles the logistics of getting the bees in for everybody. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Alaska Airlines is a huge help. Thank goodness for Alaska Airlines. They bring up, I want to say, maybe six, I might be wrong, but I think it's about six flights a season with bees and the cargo for all of so. Yeah, and I think Anchorage and Fairbanks, the bees come in through Alaska Airlines, and then the we go to Alaska Airlines and pick up all the bees, and then we meet at a warehouse, and everybody gets their bees, generally on the same day, sometime during that day, but it comes in 
I want maybe six different installments. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever, wherever, wherever you are on the list. Mm-hmm. So, um, have you ever? Um, had a problem with Alaska Airlines that they brought the bees and they were all yeah so yeah accidents happen it's not necessarily anybody's fault I just think it's sometimes a um, a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding I want to blame Alaska Airlines because I love Alaska Airlines (laughs) and you know I want to support them every way I can but one specific year somebody in cargo decided I think in Seattle I'm not sure um, they they wrapped the bees in plastic, thinking that that would right. Well, then they overheat. But and they, they died. don't know. They, they don't, don't know. know. They didn't know. And Alaska Airlines made it good, and I I think they did the best of their ability. And now they know. Now, Alaska Airlines has also had to deal with their challenges, depending on how the bees are packed. We pack all of our bees where our supplier packs them all in a plastic bee bus that the bees can't get out of, and there's a can with sugar water inside it on a sponge and so it just drips and so it doesn't cause a mess. Some bee sellers, I don't know what you call bee sellers, but the people that provide the bees um, use a full liquid and Alaska Airlines has had problems with that liquid leaking out. Well then they have to clean their entire plane so they're not excited about you know, picking up all that mess. Mm-hmm. So I know that our co-ops in Anchorage and Fairbanks have had to work with the airlines to make sure that these things don't happen on either side. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not the airline's fault. It's not the beekeeper's fault. It's just something that happens. And But it does make them reticent to want to bring the bees up because they then they have to turn around and take their plane off the line. They've got to do all this work, which is costing them sure. thousands, yeah. if not more and so I want to be compassionate to both sides yeah yeah. no you know we want to get the bees here safely and then I think about the poor little bees so just think 24 hours ago these bees were in the almond fields you know (laughs) minding their own business and all of a sudden they're on a cargo plane and now they wake up in Fairbanks Alaska and they're in the snow (laughs) and they're like what the heck just happened how did this become my world but you know within a month everybody's you know normal and doing well and yeah and uh, they figure it all out. But I just kind of think, oh. <laughs> it's like getting hit over the head and waking up in a completely different place. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what happens to them. So, yeah. yeah. How many um, beekeepers do you think there are in Fairbanks and Northville? I'd be surprised if there weren't 80. That's a pretty good size number. That's a really good yeah. number. I think, so, And I think more every year. <laughs> I know a couple of different people that um, raised bees with their family when they were young, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. went on to do something else, and then they all picked up the interest again of raising bees oh. in Alaska, yeah. raising bees here. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there's lots of beekeepers. I've never gone to a co-op meeting that wasn't 30, 40 people. Wow. Yeah, and if you go to one of Don Kogan's classes, she can easily fill up the Monroe gym with her, the equipment and everybody there that wants to learn. And they come from everywhere. Yeah. I, I worked with a group because I had some experience as a beekeeper. I was assisting Dawn to some degree, helping a brand new beekeeper learn how to mm-hmm. assemble their hives mm-hmm. and which direction and all that. Cause she goes through all the instruction and then she wants you to use it practically. But I didn't need to do that part because I already knew that part. So I assisted. And this was a family 
um, in Delta that wanted to begin beekeeping. And it was a family with children, and the children were going to be very, very involved with beekeeping. And so it's that's how it spreads, yeah. you know. It, yeah. it becomes a passion, and they just love it. And Dawn is such a knowledgeable resource, she and she's so willing to share, you know, that's all of wonderful. that with everybody. Yeah. And she's just fantastic. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, you are not interested in selling, so you know that's that's not right. your desire. No. Um, but do majority of them mm-hmm. go to farmers markets? Sure. Yeah. Um, you'll find them at the farmers market. Several of them sell that they can sell their honey. Um, through uh, the co-op and um, Sunshine Health. Sunshine Health Foods brings in the raw honey, and they'll sell it. Do you go to, like, um, um, Roaming Root or something like right. that? Right, Roaming yeah. Root, I'm sure, carries raw honey. I'm sure of it. She is so into the local agriculture scene Yeah, and so talented she gets it from every, I mean, she just too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tommy G wants to start, you know, eventually he wants to um, big, you know, big bread. And he wants to use raw, raw honey for his mm-hmm. products. And so there's all kinds of people picking up an interest. There's such a difference between raw honey and processed honey, and I don't think people realize that. Mm-hmm. They don't realize how many additives can be in processed honey, processed mm-hmm. honey mm-hmm. including corn syrup, <clears throat> including yeah. water, yeah. including ingredients you don't want to ingest. Yeah. And so if you can stick with the raw honey, yes, it's going to be a little more expensive, but local raw honey is good for so many things. I mean, it's good for digestion, it's good for allergies, it's good for, you know, just... Just its own. It has its own. Um, it has its own nutritional value. How do you use it? Every possible way. Mm-hmm. So, um, baking, cooking, tea, raw. Um, just on the spoon. Garlic honey. You take garlic cloves and honey and let them sit for four or five weeks, and you've got just a natural antibiotic. Yeah. Okay. Bee is uh, bee honey is a natural antibiotic and an antiseptic. It was used in I want to say World War One. Um, they used it to cover wounds. I've heard that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if that's World War One, World War Two, but I mean that's how far back it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, they've pulled up old Egyptian ruins and found jars of honey buried with their royal, you know, their royalty, mm-hmm. and the honey was still good. It's just amazing, mm-hmm. the properties that honey has. And, I, and I'm sure there's lots of more uses for it. But the worst thing you could do is, is destroy it. You don't want to overheat it, and you don't want to mix it with other properties to make more honey. Mm-hmm. Just go get more honey. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Well, you know, it, it goes without saying that a lot of our natural healing remedies, right. you know, originated with herbs and you know natural products and honey is a natural product so i can uh, easily see where you would rely on that for treatment of wounds or you know any other thing that that you could do because people just experimented with things like that sure and uh, sure and you know we didn't have a lot of pills you know in those days did not and and would like to stay away from those as, as much as you can because you know, they may solve a lot of things, but they create new things. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want, you know, you don't want your gut ruined over antibiotics. Yeah. And so if you can find other ways to, to deal with it naturally, then 
your body's better off for it. My grandfather used to um, <clears throat> not, uh, he, he didn't like sugar. Um, and in India, you drink a lot of tea all the sure, time. But he always had a teaspoon of honey, honey yeah. uh, in his yep. tea. Yep. And, um, and I often think about him that was that good for him to do every day honey, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, he lived till his late 80s, you know. Well, so, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Every yeah. chance he gets. Um, Jack, he's 98, and he always has a jar of honey around. Yeah. I make sure his supply is yeah, he's completely supplied. Um, I don't know if there's a ton of science behind it, but um, several people that use local raw honey at the beginning of the spring... If they keep ingesting it on a daily basis over a couple of weeks, it really does seem to help knock down their allergies, allergies to the pollens like once the birch blooms and the yeah. and the willow blooms and all that. People, there's a lot of people in Fairbanks that have um, a problem with the birch pollen, and raw honey seems to help. Now maybe it's only psychological, but they swear by it, and so but when I'm you always think happy about to supply it. What you told me, <clears throat> and and you think about how they start gathering right. food, and right. it is birch, it is you birch, know, pollen, willow, willow yep. pollen, yep. and so if that is part of the end result, right, you know, then maybe there's something in there that builds that immunity. Correct. You know? That um, could be it. It yeah. could be it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I don't know the science either, but right. I I think yeah. it would be interesting to right. I to agree. Learn. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, I'm not somebody that has a problem with pollen. This has been very, very good to to know and to have this conversation with you. Um, really? Yes. You yeah. Know? yeah. I knew that I needed to be comfortable doing this because I haven't ever done this. Right. And I knew that you and I would make each other feel comfortable. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah. 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 No, it's great. I'm yeah. glad you asked me. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. My thanks to Tammy Randolph for sharing her story with me and with you, our listeners. Follow me on Facebook and on joestablealaska.com. You can find this episode on Podbean, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. My deep gratitude to my group of supporters. You know who you are. To Andrew Heckman for writing the beautiful music for this podcast, and to the folks at Denali State Bank. Their commitment to local enterprise, community, and to supporting the emerging sustainable food growing industry is unparalleled. The success of our community is their success. I hope you join me as I continue to explore agricultural and food issue in interior Alaska. Thank you.